0: automatic productions are you ready live from the metal mayhem studios in rochester new york we are gold
1: Good evening, everybody. As always, Thursday's new content drops. Wishing everyone a happy and healthy new year as 2023 is underway. We're in the third week, and tonight we are celebrating what would have been Edward Van Halen's 68th birthday. Hard to believe that it's been two and a half years since Eddie's been gone. And every day I think of uh I think of Eddie, I think of his plane. I listen to his music constantly, so tonight we decided to celebrate, and what better way to celebrate than have a Van Halen discussion? Just a minute, I'm going to bring Metal Walt on, he's down in Jersey, but we have Steve Rosen. Now, Steve's the author of the book, Tone Chaser, Understanding Edward, My 26-Year Journey with Edward Van Halen. Now, Steve He's a rock and roll journalist, started in the early 70s, wrote for all those guitar Bibles, uh, guitar player, guitar world. He's written books on Jeff Beck, Ozzy, Jimmy Page. We have Steve on here, and we're gonna talk about all this stuff. Great, great anecdotes. We discussed uh Ed's relationship with um the band, Michael Anthony, David Lee Roth, Ted Templeman. We cover stuff like uh God, uh, his uh, meetings with Richie Blackmore and Jimmy Page. You'd be surprised to find out what happened with that, those incidences, and just overall Eddie Van Halen anecdotes. But uh, let's bring Metal Walt on. Walt, what's going on, man? How you doing?
2: Hey, Verno. How's it going today?
1: Yeah, it's going as good as it could be. Um, You know, observing Eddie Van Halen's birthday would have been 68. Uh, How do you feel about that?
2: Yeah, it's always a reminder of uh, the gift we got with him as an artist and uh, that we should be appreciative of the
1: material he left us even though leaving us at a young age. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's well documented, my favorite guy. So um Walt, what's your take uh, from this interview? We just did it. It's nice and fresh. What'd you take out of it? Well, this
2: is not your
1: typical author, you know, just
2: rehashing you know, a timeline of Eddie and Van Halen's career. This is not that. This is a guy that there was a mystery to his relationship with Eddie. I don't think he expected it to form and grow the way that it it did. And it also kind of flamed out. And you could tell from speaking to the author, he wasn't really sure why his relationship ended. But the bottom line about it is this was this archivist that had a reputation from the industry of interviewing guitarists for magazines and he linked up with Eddie and became a very trusted source for Eddie disclosing a lot of things. And what was amazing is Steve archived these conversations on cassettes. He has like 30 hours of conversations with Eddie and he pulled from the best of them to make this book. So it's definitely
1: a unique twist on his relationship with Eddie. A minimum of 30 hours, he said said 30 to 40 to 50 hours, spanning 26 years. Again, it's a 600-page book. Thing is huge, and I barely have scratched the surface, and I've been reading it for like uh, six or seven weeks. So that's what's coming up. Just want to remind you to get up to our website, metalmayhemroc.com, and sign up for our newsletter, join our community, download some past shows, rate and review, and subscribe. So, uh, Metal Walt, we will see you soon. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Enjoy the interview. Happy birthday, Eddie. We love you and miss you.
3: Hi, this is Steve Rosen, author of that unbelievable new book, Tone Chaser, Understanding Edward, My 26-Year Journey with Edward Van Halen, and you're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC with the Vernomatic, Metal Waltz, and Steve Rosen. Yeah!
1: Uh, uh I, I, Steve Rosen, I, I, welcome to Metal Mayhem, my friend. Let me introduce you to
3: my co-host, Metal Walt from New Jersey. How you doing, guys? I'm re- really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you, Steve. Thank you so much, Metal
1: Wall. Okay, this book, it's 600 pages. It's, uh, it's thick. It's heavy. Some days I don't have to do, uh, curls at the gym because it's so big. There you go. And it's one of those books where I'm going to be rereading it for years to come. Wow. The attention to detail, you know, it's fantastic again. Before we dive right into it, let's get a little glimpse into your
3: career. Quick dive, Um, I actually started writing for my high school newspaper. I had the first music column at Culver City High School. I would go out to clubs, I'd review shows, and I got a taste for it, Um, I I love doing that. I got out of high school, Went to UCLA for a year, ostensibly, to study journalism and English. And if you've read the book, you, you know what kind of a nightmare that was. So I thought, all right, fuck it. I want to be a writer. I want to write for magazines. I want to, I want to meet bands. I want to meet guitar players. So I started writing. Got, got some things printed in uh, the LA Free Press, which is like an alternative paper from back in the day. Um, and then you use that as a stepping stone. And, uh, you know, I got some, some little pieces in Cream and circus and then I got a couple of small pieces in Rolling Stone and became a, a regular contributor for uh, guitar world in 84 was a regular contributor to guitar player beginning in 73 and you, you know man you, you just branch out and, and uh, ultimately I was writing for a lot of foreign magazines Japanese magazines European magazines along the way I, I'd written some books uh, previous to the Van Halen book, uh, wrote a book on Prince Springsteen, wrote a book on Ozzy, uh, wrote a book on Bad Company and Free, wrote a book on Randy Rhodes. And in fact, the first book I ever wrote and the first biography on him, uh, was Jeff Beck, uh, called the Beck Book that came out in Japan in 1978. We all know Jeff passed recently, which was a, uh, which is horrific. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of a kind of a quick diet.
1: Yeah, I wanted to comment on that, that the passing of Jeff Beck, because uh, learned in the book that was your first feature article when you started with Guitar Player, and it was uh, a cover shot. So condolences to the passing of uh, someone that meant a lot to you in your history.
3: Yeah, man, absolutely. I I I've loved Jeff Beck you know since I was I don't know man uh, heart full of soul and over under sunways down and. You know, I was playing guitar, playing the songs and bands. Um, uh, there was just something special about him from the first time I'd heard him. I thought he was the greatest uh, who ever lived, notwithstanding Edward, who I believe, and there's a differentiation here, I believe Edward was the most influential guitar player who ever lived. I think that Jeff Beck was the greatest guitar player who ever lived, which isn't to say that Jeff also wasn't incredibly influential and Edward wasn't obviously also a, an amazing guitar player. But yes, man, that was my first story for um, guitar player, became a cover and uh, began what would be a five-year run uh, with guitar player. Those were fun days, man. Those are great days.
1: Uh, to be on the fly on the wall back in the 70s, I absolutely would love to be there. But yeah. today it is the birthday of Eddie Van Halen. Uh, He would have been 68 years old. But Eddie, besides being an influential guitarist, it's what he did behind the scenes with his amps and his guitars. And to this day, that's what's living on with the EVH brand, with uh, Wolfgang and Matt Burke, his longtime assistant. So, but there's so much to dive into this. Let's start at the beginning because my co-host, Metal Walt, he's very good at what he does. He did some. <laughs> he, he did some. Uh, you know, quick crash coursing. Um, Walt, any early comments on what you have heard about this book, and any questions for Steve?
2: Yeah. So, Steve, again, congratulations on this magnificent publication. Um, I will say yes, when I received the PDF version of it, I'm flipping through it and I'm going, wow, okay, chapter 234, 45, 62, (laughs) we're up to page 625. I said, man, Verno's got the hard copy. I got the virtual copy. But anyway, you know what? My first reaction was, this book is unique, right? But you know what? I'm sure there's hundreds and hundreds of books out there about Van Halen or Edward himself and articles written. But in your own words... Like, what did you set out to make this book different than just another typical Van Halen history book or an Eddie Van Halen biography of sorts? What makes this one stand on its own?
3: Well, that's a great question. By default, because I don't Mm -hmm. know if I set out to consciously try and write a book that was different than, um, uh, uh, you know, Brad, Brad Talinsky's book and Chris Gill's book, which is fantastic. Um, Paul Brannigan's book, uh, which I thought was really good, uh, Paul is also a superb writer. Um, You know, Greg Renoff's book earlier. um, Just by default, well, I I mean, the broad answer is I had a relationship with Edward that that, that nobody else ever had, Mm -hmm. and that's just the reality of it. So, you know, in and of its own, coming from that viewpoint, the book was going to be different. Look, I, I know those guys, um, uh, you know, I, I know that Brad spent a fair amount of time with Ed, but it was not like Ed lived, you know, 10 minutes away and he was hanging out with them for the better part of, of, you know, almost three decades. So that in itself was going to make the book different. I also, at a point in time, as you um, suggest, um, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing. I'm like 100,000 words in, I'm 150,000 words in. And typically, that's about the length, 175,000 words of, 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 a, of a typical biography. You know, that they, they typically run. So I'm 175,000 words in that. And I'm not even, you know, 10 years into the relationship. I'm thinking, oh my God, you, you know, then this book's going to be, you know, 3,000 pages on. I'll, I'll have to do it, you know, four separate volumes. So I thought, you know what? Fuck it. It's my book. I'm going to make it as long as I want to make it. You talk about the detail. I did not know when I was writing this if people were going to react to the detail in that way. I thought, man, am I, am I just getting crazy here and just, you know, taking, you know, five pages to describe, you know, the way the cigarette smoke was curling around his head but you know what i i wanted the book to read like fiction as, as if i i had made this story up so it gave me a chance to flex my my writing skills I could be a creative writer i could say whatever i wanted i didn't have to follow a format it, it, it wasn't a strict chronology it wasn't a discussion about guitars and amps um so I think there were a lot of things that, that really made it different. Uh, it wasn't going to be a a, a, a photo centric book. You know, there's like six or eight pages of, of photos, um, you know, nothing great, but, but, but they kind of reflect what the book was. It reflected, you know, kind of my background. So I think there were a lot of pieces that make the book different.
2: So, Steve, just tell us, though, about the friendship. Like, when did it start? How did it start? Mm-hmm. And how did it, it evolve? Because in the title, it says, whatever it is, 26 years of a yeah. longstanding friendship. Like, how did you meet him? And then you're probably one of a kind that you've maintained a friendship and a communication with him over a long duration, which, you know, you read of a lot of others that he was a very elusive
3: kind of guy. Yeah. Right. So how did that go down? I think about that a lot. And and I think in, in the beginning of... Uh... I I think it's chapter one, I I write about, well, what if I hadn't gone to the Whiskey of Doggo that night in June, 1977, to see Chief Chief Trent record a live record? I don't really believe in destiny or its free plan, but it's like, for those pieces to come together like that, man, it it just, maybe there was something that worked there. I don't know. So on there on a a Friday night, I'm there with my brother, And um, Michelle Meyer, the girl who booked the whiskey, uh, was someone I had met. I was playing in a band. She would book my band around, and and she was just a fantastic girl. And so she saw me there, and she said, there's somebody you have to meet. And to be honest, um, coming from Michelle, I, I, I thought it was probably somebody special. But I had met a lot of very cool guitar players by 77. You know, I'd interviewed Richie Blackmore and John McLaughlin and... John N. Wissall and which and Ash, who I loved. I mean, I had met a lot of guys, you know. I'm not saying that I was jaded by 77 for years in the career, but it's like, oh yeah. God, if it's some local guy, you know, and he might be on great guitar player, but it's like, uh, I trust Michelle. So she brings my brother and I upstairs, and there's this guy standing there, and, and, I try, and I'm trying to remember if I recognized him or I didn't. I'm pretty sure I Recognize him though. And this is key. I have never seen Van Halen play I had never heard this Edward Van Halen play guitar. So I, I didn't know who he was I just knew that oh, well, this is a guy whose band is got kind of Warner Brothers records Which I thought was fucking unbelievable Um, uh, and he was a band that was playing around town. So I thought you know, he's got to be a guitar player So we just started conversation Michelle introduced us. We started talking And as my brother described afterwards, man, it was just like talking to one of our buddies, you know, man, there was a distant connection with this shared love of Clapton and Cream and Jeff Beck and Blackmore. I knew a lot about Eric Clapton. I knew a lot about Richie Blackmore because I loved those guys. I knew a lot about Cream. I knew more than most people. And I don't say that in any egotistical way, it's just that that's what I love. So I listened to all the music. I read about it, such as I was to read, obviously, pre Computer*. So would look up a magazine article. So I mean, I knew a lot, but Edward, his comments were so incisive, and he was talking about Eric's play. that oh my God, this guy really gets you, you know. So I mean, I, I, it was like I'm an, I was enamored with the guy. So we meet, we get along. He gives me his phone number. Uh, I'm trying to remember my chronology. About a year later, I interview him for the first time. Um, it's a phone interview. He's amazing. Now, this is really key. I don't think he remembers meeting me. I don't think Edward remembered from one moment to the next. <laughs> what we did, it was a strange thing. At first, I thought, well, how the fuck do you not remember meeting me? You know, not that he met me, but it's like, I mean, how many journalists did you mean at the whiskey Ed, you know what I mean? But I, I came to understand that that she just never remembered that stuff. Following year 78, I met him again, Day of the Green, and that amazing photo on the back cover that Niels Lozauer took uh, yeah. was taken there that day. Um, and again, I don't think he remembered me. Uh, you know, you talk about the friendship, how to develop. I, I can't tell you, like, oh, it was the third time we met and the you know, second interview for Guitar World when it was like, it took the scales and we became friends. I think we became friends the moment I, I met him the first night at the whiskey. I believe that. And I think if Ed were here, I think if you'd asked him if he could have remembered Bethan, he would have said the same thing. So it was just one of those things that happen. How and why did he become friends with somebody? I don't know, man. You know, a shared interest, um, a chemical thing.
1: I don't, I don't know. Excuse me, Steve, before we go and discuss 78, 79, yeah. Van Halen at the time, they were huge in the local scene. Yeah. You never heard of them or seen them? Were you living in the South California area?
3: How did you not see the band? Dude, I did not know. I was living up on Weepaw Way, Laurel Canyon. I was literally 10 minutes from the Whisky. I was at the whiskey five times a week, four times a week. I was at the Starwood when they were playing. Here is the thing. I had, I had heard of Van Halen. Everybody in Hollywood, maybe everybody, you know, even recently had heard of Van Halen. But all I knew of them was that they it was this local band that had signed a big deal on Warner Brothers. Um, I knew they played the circuit. You know, I knew they had played the Zaris and yep. they'd moved up. They'd moved up to the whiskey. And I thought, oh, my God, these guys are playing the whiskey. Because me and my small way, you know, I was, you know, I, I had my band. And I am in no way trying to compare myself with them. But, you, you know, I mean, I would have cut off an arm to have played the whiskey. Or even the Starwood. You know, I was playing like Madame Wong's East and West, which were primarily punk clubs at the time. Pretty well known. But, you know, I play on a Sunday night, and there'll be eight people in the audience. You know, seven of them were my buddies. But in answer to your question, somewhere, and I don't know where, I must have seen one of those early shows. I know it was not before I met him, however. And I'd look up, you know, know, God bless the internet, you know, you can look and you can see calendars of the whiskey, you know, even though there's no mention of that she tricked Nate which I look over and over for trying to figure out I have to find out the date of when I first met Edward and I finally found it by a reference in one of my own interviews anyway I, I think it's that first phone interview Edward talks about the bomb that he used to put his in. Mm-hmm. and my response is and I'm thinking about it now my brother brought this up my response is, oh, that's what that is for. Now I think about it, my response is, oh, that's what then that for as if I had seen the bomb and I knew what it was. But on the other hand, I could have just been sort of responding to inspection oh that's what that was for. Like oh, oh that's why I smoke, not knowing the reason. So you know, I, yeah, I think yeah. I, I must have seen them play live at at the whiskey early on. No, I think no, I never did. So I don't know, man. But I know I never saw him play uh, before uh, meeting him that first time. Uh, that I, that I'm positive.
1: Like that uh, farewell Pasadena Civic Center show that they they did before they went on tour. Any of that? Nothing.
3: Nothing, man. Certainly never those bigger shows. Um, yeah strange. I, I mean, I don't know how I could have missed them. Even the Starwood. I mean, I was there, and I, I mean, I swear to you, I was there four nights a week, you know, seeing every local band. The Y&T, you know, who opened that night for them when they were signed. I mean, I must have seen them a dozen times. Wolfgang, I think they were, wasn't that early? Um, Autograph, Steve Lynch. Um, I mean, I was seeing all those bands there. Black Oak. My God, I've seen them so many times, they used to open for every local band. I don't know how I'd miss them. Only thing I could think of is that maybe a lot of times they were playing with punk bands. I was not a fan of punk. That's like, oh man, I'm not gonna go out to see, well, even though I might wanna see Van Halen, I'm not gonna go, you know, if there's a punk band. And the other thing, and this is kind of stupid, but the truth is I was on labels, I was on uh, the list at that time for record companies. So I was getting, like, calmed, I would get calves. So it's like, you know, before Van Halen was signed, it was like, if I'm going to go see him, I would have to pay to go <laughs> see them. And not trying to be a snob, it's like, oh, man, I'm not going to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So who knows why things happen. But, but that you know, weird stuff. Yeah, man, I, I, I just somehow I miss them.
2: It's funny, Steve. Many years later, I remember when I was cutting my teeth with Van Halen and a lot of the bands, you know, late 80s, mid to late 80s. I'm 52, so it took me a while to catch up. I was a big bootleg uh, collector, right? And I know those Starwood tapes showed up um, a lot through the 80s and early 90s. A lot of the Van Halen demos, the Gene Simmons demos and a yeah. lot of shows off of those soundboards from those Starwood shows yeah. would pop up where Van Halen was doing. I remember they did a totally killer version of Gene Genie, David Bowie's Gene Genie. So it's nice to know that those archives still exist from back in the day. But Steve, I want to I want to move on with with this because it's fascinating when you go through your book. You know, you had this communication with him from that point in time in '78 or so, all the way to early 2000s. Yeah. And my first reaction was, man, how is Steve fact checking himself? How does he remember all of this stuff? There's no way. Like, you know, is he a photographic memory? And then John comes to say, no, Walt, like he archived these things. So tell us how you
1: archive these conversations. This is funny. This is funny. Tell him about the equipment you used back in 79.
3: Exactly. Well, you know, oh God. Honestly, I was late in getting a computer. I was still using an electric typewriter. My brother said, you're out of your mind. You're getting a computer. Because he was in that world, you know, man. Um, let's start with the gear. Um, and I, I, I wish I could remember where I got it. It was a, I don't even remember the make. It was like a GE or something cassette player. It was so old and so bad the Capstans would make these noises and Edward comments on it. Actually, I think he comments on it twice. And I'm so embarrassed because as I'm listening to the tapes and I'm writing the book, I'm going, oh my God. He must have heard those sounds every time we talked and he's never said anything and would have, you know, I feel like a total amateur. So they go like, "Ah, ah. sometimes they get higher opinions depending on the beginning of the tape and how much tension with all the Capstans. Or the end of the time, you know, they'd change and pitch, you know. And because the microphone, you know, was like kind of sometimes first in the tape recorder, the microphone was picking up all these sounds. So these tapes would have these sounds of the the player on them, and they would drown out, you know, whoever I was talking to. And trust me, it wasn't just Van Halen, you know. Pete Townsend and Peter Frampton and Stevie Wonder, and I mean interviews that, you know, I cringe in this day. The equipment was horrific. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'll probably be a, you know, how long am I going to do this? You know, yeah. You know, I thought, hey man, if I could do this for a couple of years in advance, I, I, I'd be happy. So it was partly that, partly. You never think about the other side of it. I was only recording so I could write the stories and listen back and transcribe the tapes. Who would ever think I didn't? I don't think anybody else ever did, would ever think, oh my God, years later, it's on you that's going to have the value. You know, I know guys, I mean, big time journalists who recorded over the cassettes, never recorded, they, they took notes. So, well, trying to get back to your question. I always had an archive archivist mentality. I was always a, a documentarian of sorts. So, from the very first interview I did, so I. I recorded over the first interview I did, which, is, which was Joe Cocker, but that's another story. Um, I, kept, I kept all my interviews. I had them on cassettes. I met a guy, Dave Jeffress. He took the originals and, and dumped them to CDs. So I now had to send everything with CD, and I subsequently uh, had everything dumped to hard drives. And a, a more precise answer, Walt. Honestly, what bothers me is that my memories weren't more complete. Basically, I was, I was going off of um, what was on the tapes. So I'd listen to that first interview. Um, I thought, okay, that's that's 78. And I'd listen to the next one, which would have been dated Van Halen. And I thought I dated every cassette I ever did. Well, I didn't. Some I did, some I didn't. So I had, like, I don't know, man, a dozen cassettes that weren't dated, that said Everett Van Halen. So I'd, 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 I'd literally pick a cassette, listen to it, and listen to it, and listen to it, and go, oh my God, he's talking about the third tour, you know, or, or um, a track off an album, or uh, a guitar. And I go, oh my God, that's 83. And I'd, I'd re- I you know, I'd kind of reverse engineer and know, okay, that's, that's a tape from 83, so I can write that chapter in 1983. And I tried to, you know, find the month, when, to when, you know, uh, what, what kind of space we talking about? Um, and really, man, I wrapped my brain right as hard as I could. It took me weeks and weeks and weeks to figure out uh, the date that we first met at the Whiskey. And I finally heard, oh, Ed, don't you remember, man, we met at the Whiskey when Chief Triple Recording lied? I got, oh, my God, there it is. Then it took me a long time to find out, Chief Chip recording a live album, well, it's not booted talent, obviously, and I go, Oh my God, there it is you know they they recorded to three nights. it was just racking my brain, man, listening over and over to a section, trying to make the chronology as as perfect as I could. Um, How many
2: hours of conversations do you think you could guess you have archived with Ed
3: in the book, I show uh the list of interviews um i mean I, Maybe thirty or forty or fifty hours. Um, I mean, there was a lot. Um, I would, you know, I wish there were more. You know, I wish I'd recorded every second I was with him. You can't do that, right? I mean, it yeah. becomes unbelievably intrusive. You can't, you can't do that. But there were conversations I missed, which he would have called. Yeah, I didn't press the chord, You know, didn't have the re- tape player at the ready. But like you said, man, I was. Together enough to have collected them, to have stored them so the cassettes were still playable, right? Yep. We all know analog tape dissolves and corrosion goes away. Thank goodness for for the, all of that stuff. I was able to go back to those states. None of them broke. Some of the quality was horrible and I couldn't make out sections, which made me crazy, but you know, eighty percent of it was there, so But just the fascinating
2: part, Steve, that Eddie trusted you, right? I mean, okay, some of it was like actual interviews, some of it was just small talk, right? But that the bond that developed between the two of you, you know, he wasn't sitting there thinking, oh my God, this is this guy's strange because he's hitting record on everything we're talking about. He felt that comfort with you. And that was really the importance of this whole book, is you developed a friendship, which led to many, many other things, which you'll eventually talk about. That's that's
3: absolutely true. And you know, it's funny in the book. And it's only been like two people who kind of had problems with it. They go, well, why don't you print that when, you know, that part where Eddie says, um, don't print this or don't use this. I could only write the book if it was going to be entirely honest. And I, and I said that from the beginning in portraying as, as closely and accurately as I could who Edward Van Halen was and who I was. You know, the moments that I paint picture myself, I could have lied. I could have said I never drank with Ed. You know, I never did blow with Ed. I mean, I could have lied and said that. Yeah, that, I, I, I couldn't do that. I wasn't going to write that kind of a book. I could have taken the real easy way out and, and not printed that little bit where Ed says, don't print this. So no one would have ever thought that that is a, um, a forbidden interview they just would have, you know, they, they wouldn't have had those thoughts like, well, why would you print that if it said don't print that? So what they don't understand is the fact that I put in and included don't print this and now, all these years later, included that. That's how honest I was trying to be. I wasn't trying to be sensational or hurt anybody or rewrite history in any way. I just wanted to present the book and Edward and would myself as honestly as possible. Steve, I have a
1: point on something yeah. in 94. I believe it was um, a guitar player released a special edition unreleased interviews and right. uh, uh, Jay O'Bright. Is that the pronunciation? I think it's jazz Obrecht. Okay. Well, he released yeah. an interview and in that interview, Eddie, referred to steven rosen as a friend you were a friend and for him to even mention you and call you out to another public or uh, another writer is amazing a yeah. comment on how you felt you being mentioned in that light because that's that's okay. impressive
3: it was it honestly and i you know i don't want to get muddling about it man but i I read that. I mean, I, I cried. I, I thought, wow, that, that's un, that's unbelievable. And and the thing that's straight is somebody sent me that clip because I had never seen it. I, I you know I hadn't been for the guard later for years. I didn't I didn't know about that issue, and I read that, um, and I, I, I thought, my God, he, you know, he, he really thought that way about me. You know, I mean, you thank your friends and you want to believe your friends. You do things that friends do, but to hear him say that, like you say, especially to another journalist was unbelievable. And and I have to give props to Jazz for, for printing that, because he didn't have to put that little bit in his story. Um, and as an aside, Jazz just put up the audio of that interview on his site, um, Talking Guitars. And so I listened to that, and to hear Edward actually say that, um, was pretty unbelievable so yeah we were friends and 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 edward trusted me and and because he trusted me i mean i i would have never betrayed that trust in a thousand years you know um so yeah and 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 she knew that the other thing you have to remember is that when he said that don't print this he may have been talking about michael anthony or dave and at the time you know when he said it you know 78 or 79 or 80 you know in the thick of van halen and and the third and the fourth record um you know he didn't want me you know he didn't want anybody knowing what he was saying about dave or mike he loved those guys and i think we all get that sense but he was he was frustrated you know um so that's, that's another thing that comes out. You know, people get, well, you know, you know, they said, don't print this. I said, yeah, but he said that in 1979. We're now in 2021. And a lot of that is common knowledge. A lot of it's not. But, you know, and a lot of it is, is personal stuff that, yeah, has, I've, I've, I've sat on for, for 17 years. But, so you have to understand that a lot of that was talked about in the moment. And, yeah, had that stuff come out about Mike or Dave back then, yeah, that could have been pretty disastrous
1: like any nuggets you could share that you've been sitting on,
3: because I have some questions um yeah man I, I, honestly i I think I pretty much laid it all out there um i mean I mean honestly that there the, were the bits that I thought, my God, do I really want to include this stuff because I thought maybe there was a bridge too far, but it's it's all out there, I don't think that there's one in. Honestly I don't think there's one little bit that I left on a tape that's not on the that's not on the page. Um yeah. Hey Steve,
2: I got, I have a couple questions. I mean, maybe getting off track on the book a little, we'll come back. Sure. But you know, there was several eras of Van Halen in totality, right? You had the rise, they hit their pinnacle 1984. I'm here I am a 14-year-old kid. I couldn't believe it when David Lee Roth leaves. You know reboot number two, Sammy comes in, you know the band is reborn again, hits a second second career, you know Gary Sharon comes in, Sammy comes back in, then leads to leads to the reunion. What were those conversations like with you and Ed at all of those let's say turning points of the band like what was what was talked about when it was like Okay, we got five number one singles on 1984. We're on top of the world. But, but, and then there's a but that comes in there. What's the but? Mm. That's a good question.
3: We never got specific in that way. And I mean, I can remember, at, and, and I talk about it in the book. Um, as an aside, just real quickly, I can tell you that that N word was happiest um, in the very beginning of the band. Um, I have to think he was happy in the club days. Obviously he wanted to make it, you know, every guitar player wanted to branch out, but um, I think those first couple records, I mean the first two records, um, I, I, I think were the best times for him. At least to me, that's what he seemed most happiest. 1984, 84, he was very proud of that record. Um, I think Dave leaving, and we, we talked about that, was I, I, I think that hurt him immensely. Um, uh, he couldn't understand it. I, I think he felt disrespected. Um, the early, early days of Sammy. I think he was so happy to have found Sammy. Um, again, these are... It felt like I asked, well, Ed, you know, what's, is... you know, is it going to be different now with Sammy or, or you know, are you happy days... I just—I never had those kinds of conversations. I guess I wish I did. So it was more kind of generalities, you know, us talking about things. Um, and he talks about, you know, you know, not particularly being a fan of Sammy's writing, Sammy's solo writing, um, but he was really happy when Sammy came into the band. By the time that Gary Strong came in, uh, we had grown actually a little distant by that point. Um, uh, I think he was really. Uh, And just defending big things with Gary. In the back of the book, you you have
1: pages, um, an interview with Michael Anthony, his comments and David Lee Roth and Jimmy Page. But in the section where Michael Anthony was talking about when Dave finally left the band. Yeah. He was saying that it couldn't have come a day sooner. It was it was time.
3: One thing you have to understand is that Michael Anthony said those things to me contemporaneous at the moment, right? It comes out later in Knowles' book or Granny's book and taking nothing away from you. It's common history now. It wasn't one Mike was telling me that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, um, Mike, and I, I don't want to put words in Mike's mouth. Mike really, really disliked Dave. And I think that he saw what it was doing to Edward. I saw what it was doing to Ed, you know, um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know Dave that well. Like I said, I'd only interviewed Dave one time. I ran into him probably a couple times. Um, he was always cordial to me. Um, I don't think he gave Edward the respect that Edward deserves, or just a simple acknowledgement that how hard Edward worked for the band. So I think Mike saw all of that too and, and Mike was just a lot I don't know, maybe more vocal than Edward I, I mean, Mike just really just he, he hated that ego that, that Dave had and saw what he was doing to to uh, Edward and I saw it too Man, Ed he's just so unhappy I mean, my god, you make an album like 1984 and he, you know, that's other stuff you're dealing with I don't know well, that whole
1: thing with a uh, fair warning. And, you know, you wrote in the book that Eddie wrote everything. Those guys did not bring anything to the table. They come off tour from the women and children first. And everyone turns around in 1980 and they turn around and look at Eddie and say, Hey, Eddie, what do you got? Like, you know, like it's an endless well. And Ed, you wrote in the book that Eddie stated that he lost weight. He wrote that album and, two weeks it's their darkest album one of the first albums where they two things there were no cover songs and they really weren't dipping into the the old music well the ideas from you know stuff that they cultivated from the the old demos and all that yeah tell us about the fair warning era and uh, some of those tidbits
3: edward loved that stuff mad and and Yeah, he talked about yeah, it was making a set, but I think it was maybe the first time since those early records um, that he had a chance to push himself. Right, all those multiple guitar parts and the layers. Um, I I think he wanted to say something uh, to Ted, like Ted, look what I could do. Um, You know, the relationship between Ted and Edward—it was strange. I mean you know, you read the book and just, you know, kind of being really unhappy with Ted, but how he's bringing him back, which I could never understand. Obviously, Ted was integral for that, you know, uh-huh. that band, um, much more so for Dave, right? He was always the uh, Dave's guy. Um, but it's one of the few times when, when Ed would talk about his playing in go, yeah, man, I was, I was happy with that. Uh-huh. Um, I thought the, I thought his playing was just unbelievable. I mean, um, just incredible, um, and maybe just left to his own devices. That's what it was. I don't think he was thinking about anything else. Like you say, you know, cover singles, and um, he was just going to do what he was going to do. Um, it's funny because I, I don't think he thought of it as a dark album, but I think I, I characterized the one single, and I forget. Uh, sorry, the one solo, and I forget which song it was. A man, well, you, an you angry young man, you did that solo. He kind of laughed because did. You know, he didn't. Think of the record as being angry, you know. But um, I think everybody who listens to it gets that sense that you know that's angry, you know, maybe passionate is a better word. Um, but yeah, he was he was amazing. Yeah, he, he had to go from that to uh, Diver Down, you know. And there were some good songs on Diver Down, but um, you know, Ed was the first one to tell you about you know all the covers, you know. He, I don't know, there were four covers, or he said, yeah, there were four covers too many or something like that, you know. Um, But, yeah, the beginning of the downfall, they certainly changed on Diver Down.
1: Well, the studio dynamic, you know, they they, they had that great idea of releasing Pretty Woman as a carryover because the band was going to take a little break, and then it gained momentum, and this was the beginning of MTV. They did a video, and that was the seed that, started with lee roth and the visual that eventually led to that you know dave going solo but you know was... eddie wasn't about that this is you know he just was a musician he, he didn't even call himself a rock star you know is do we do we call him a recluse or is he just a
3: simple man that like to play guitar and keep to his own with that it was it was music first music second and music third and hats off to Dave. That, that's what Dave brought, right? Even though uh, Edward says that Al had a lot of the, you know, brought ideas to the videos. But that, that, that's what, that was Dave's oeuvre, right? The, you know, the, the on-stage thing, the videos, bigger than life, because Edward was not that person. Um, with Ed, every post, yeah. But he was always the of, you know, playing music. I felt like he, look, he didn't go on a line. Uh, I think at a point in time he could you know, people mobbed him, he didn't like that part of it. With Edward, he was one of those guys, yeah, it was always about the guitar, it was always about music. Um, um, and that, you know, that, that, that could cause problems. Um, one, your, your other band members, um, you know, is anybody gonna work as hard as you, when I say you, I mean Edward? I mean, I don't know if anybody worked as hard. You know, I don't know if Al worked as hard as Edward. Um, you know, I mean, he was out there writing and 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 you know getting the studio together. And when he talks about fifty one fifty as being a tool for the band, he absolutely meant that. And that th- they didn't get it at all. They were threatened by it. They was threatened. Ted was threatened. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you, man. If I was in a band and my guitar player, you know, thought enough to. April own studio, I think. I would, I don't know. I think that's the greatest thing in the world. Like God, he loves his fans so much; he wants to put it in a studio, anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, marriages, <laughs> you know, and we you know, love Valerie and and you know everything else, man. But it was, it, it was music, uh, you know, first and foremost for you. Oh. And you have to be a certain type of person you have to be a certain kind of you know person in in a relationship with Edward to to understand that and you can't up to a point and then it gets really difficult, you know. I, I call it the the care and feeding of a of a guitar god and it's not an easy thing to do. Um you know in my once removed way as a as a friend. Um you know I I, I saw that so many times. mean, um, it's hard. It was hard, man. It's like, you know, um, you're always going to be second to the music. And, um, you know, when they want to work on the music, you go home. And
2: uh, so, yeah. Do you think he's uh, he's passed some of that work ethic down to his son? He's building his career?
3: Um, I I, I think in a big way. um, I've never met Wolf. I've never spoken to him. Um, You know, in the book, Edward talks about him, which is probably the first time he's ever spoken to anybody outside of his family. And, you know, about his son being a musician. And, you know, he plays me those little those drum tracks well, uh one. Yeah. I, 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 I think Wolf got that big time. Obviously he got the, uh, the musicality, um, very talented kid. I mean, you know, um, yeah.
2: I re—I remember, I think it was when when they did that uh, short-lived, I will call it reunion tour. I think it was 2005 when Sam came back in and they put like a, a greatest hits with three new songs or something. Oh, and I right. remember seeing that show in New Jersey at the Meadowlands Arena. And I guess Wolf had to be about 12 and during Ed's solo. And Ed wasn't in a good place at this time. I remember he, there were questions of, you know, his sobriety. He was in a weird space. But I remember at the time not even knowing who wolf was and he came out on stage and and soloed with his dad at 12 and that should just tell you about the work ethic of him and his son that here's a kid that should be in school yeah he's traveling the road across the states in the middle of the summer or or wherever it was you know so that should that should tell you something
3: absolutely and and again i i think when and you know playing with that little you know wolf wolf uh um Channeling John Bonham, I think he was eleven, I th- and I, I I heard this you know this somebody playing these drums on the on the, on the tape you know the tape. I'm listening to Enter recording. Um, I thought, my God, he, that kid is eleven years old. Um, it's pretty amazing. And Another interesting thing is, I did ask him way before he had uh, both. You know, um, would you want your 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 child? um, you know, to be in music and that's just, well, you know, that's what he wants to do. I mean, look, growing up in, you know, as a son of Edward Van Halen, I mean, was Wilt's going to be anything else? Yeah. I mean, sure. He could have been a, an engineer or a pilot, but I mean, you know, come on. I mean, the chances yeah. of him being just, were probably pretty high. Right.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. You no. Know, yeah. Very talented kid. Very talented.
1: Now, uh, listeners, um, this conversation, uh, First and foremost, it exemplifies that there's just so much in this book, and a lot of these stories is colored, again, by Steve's penmanship, if you will. It's just, um it goes on and on and on. But in the back, you have some testimonials from some famous rock stars, and Jimmy Page had some comments. And I got out of this, were these backhanded compliments to Ed and Eddie mentioned that him and Alex back in like 73 or 74 would go to the forum and see Zeppelin and he would watch Jimmy Page, like do pull offs and hammer ons. And then in these comments, Jimmy Page was like, well, I don't play that way. Uh, whatever they're called in. I don't know. What's your take on these page comments?
3: Well, I can tell you exactly what it is. Cause I remember that very clearly. So I was in, uh, Daytona Beach interviewing uh, Page for uh, Guitar World. And, and again, I, 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 I notate in the book um, I did not interview Ginny specifically for the book. Those other interviews that you read in there, uh, for the most part, maybe Ozzy wasn't. Uh, I interviewed all those people specifically for the book that I was working on at the time, which was Edward's Authorized Biography, which is We All Know sadly never happened so i was interviewing all those people specifically for the book with page the the interview had gone so badly um uh and i was like he would yell at me uh, you know i'd ask him an innocuous question and he'd go what the fuck you want to know that for and the question was like first question of the interview and now i have to do your 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 point um dope um i asked him Oh, so it must be, this is during the firm. It must be, you know, way different working with Paul Rogers um, as opposed to Robert Plant. Um, He goes, well, yeah, well, what the fuck do you think? Of course it's going to be different. What the fuck do you think? And this is the first question I asked. I thought, that's interesting. It was an interesting question. I thought he was going to get into, you know, writing with them and their lyrics and the personality. But no, it's like, in his mind, I, I, I don't know what it was. She yeah. was insulted, or it went down to the from there. I had a screaming migraine headache. I almost threw up on his fucking shoes because I, I it was so tense in there. So at one time I said, Fuck you. I started asking questions about Eddie Van Halen. And I was almost like prodding him with a skip. Come on, shit brain. Yeah. You I know? know? Um, you know, um, that's when he said, well, yeah, and I know you're friends with Nettie, you know, and, and, you know, that's when, yeah, that's when he met sure that kind of called yeah, I can't smile like Edward, and I can't play that stuff, but yeah, you're right, Ed ostensibly had seen Paige do, you know, the single kind of happening on the heartbreaking solo, right, you know, yeah. which at the time was amazing, I mean, don't get me wrong, Paige is amazing, I love Seth, but the guy was impossible to, to talk to, so um, yes, those comments were backhanded, um, I don't think he thought much of, of Edward's playing. I, I truly don't. And the thing that's weird, and I've never heard anybody else bring this up, um, it may have been a Guitar World issue uh, where you, where there's the cover with uh, Ann and Jimmy Page. And all of a sudden, they're best friends, you know, and, and, you know, Edward's passing. I mean, I'm sure that Jimmy had some words. And I'm sure that Jimmy was hurt when Edward passed. And you know, you know, I'm sure it was a part of him that recognized who he was. But I think, yeah, in the scope of things, I don't think Ed meant meant that much of him. So yes, I believe every word page of Page's mouth was a uh, backhanded compliment. I think he was just getting mad at me for bringing his name up over and over.
1: Was this before or after you spent 11 days on the road with him?
3: Oh, this is way after. This is 86, <laughs> that was 77. And that's the other thing. It's like I walk in, I think, well, look, Page has been interviewed with hundreds of journalists, but only one wrote a cover story in Guitar Player magazine in '77. And I, I think I said something, well, hey, Jimmy, we met in '77. Nothing. I thought, uh oh, that that's not a good sign, you know. So you st- yeah, he didn't remember that at all.
1: You're on the road with Zeppelin for eleven days in '77.
3: Man, that cover, that that cover, uh, that cover story, and uh, guitar player, um, yeah, that was uh, pretty fantastic. They and, were, uh,
1: they were crazy then. Was, was that Fish Story era and all that shit? Or you see anything Wind crazy? Shark. Yep.
2: Ah, Jesus, well, Steve, yep, it brings you back to your point at the top of the show about all these, you know, fake people that claim exactly. to know Jeff Beck, exactly. like. I know it was Jimmy Page's birthday a week or two ago, and you saw all these people wishing him a happy birthday. I'm guessing you didn't send him a card at this point.
3: <laughs> I I didn't know, and had I known, no, I wouldn't have sent him a card. <laughs> um, you know, at point in time, I was thinking, hey, you know what? What if I reach out to, if I could, oh, reach out to Page and have him run like a little blurb on the back cover? Yeah, Steve Rosen, that fuckhead, he asked me about Eddie Van Halen was much, you know. <laughs> Yeah, look, look, look! I, 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 have, I just need to say, I love Zeppelin. I thought the first Zeppelin re- record was, for me, was life changing. Um, I'd never heard anything like that. I think Jimmy Page is is amazing. But that being said, um, he he's not an easy person to interview. Right? So hey, I want that on the record, guys. Okay. Hey, they all can't be Richie Blackmore, right? Yeah, Richie Blackmore.
2: So, Steve, uh, I, I'm a I'm a big Deep Purple guy. I, I Me too. I follow their present band with Steve Morse and now new guitar player Simon McBride coming on board. But there's something in the book where uh, you talk about this 1979 show, a rainbow concert at the Long Beach Arena, and you secured tickets and passes to get Eddie to meet Richie. And I think the history goes that maybe Richie's kind of slagged him off or whatever. Oh, Tell God. us a, a good story about that one. Let
3: me back up just a little bit. What I, I, I knew that Edward was a big Blackmore fan. When I heard the first, when I, the first time I heard the first Ben Halen record and I write about it infamously in the book, not being blown away by it. My, my first reaction was, yeah, man, that, that's that ever Ben Halen guy. man." he said, he's a good guitar player. This sounds like, like like deep purple sped up. Like like you know, I just got a sense of deep purple, those fast boogies, you know, and kind of the vibrato thing. That was my first instant. So I always had a sense that Ed was a Blackmore fan. We talked about him that night when we first met. What I did not know was that Edward had met Richie um uh, at the whiskey, um and, and I forget this is going back way, or this would be like before I met Edward, um, 73, 74, maybe. Um, Richie was hanging out at the Rainbow where he hung out a lot. Um, Edward was there. He saw Blackmore walks over to Richie who was there with uh, John Bonham and they both treated and like shit. I didn't know that. Edward never told that to me. So come 78, um, I had interviewed Richie the year before for the cover of Guitar Player, so I thought, "My God, how amazing would it be if I could be the one to introduce Richie Blackmore to Edward? I thought, "It's historic, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll be the guy who brought these two guys together." So I got tickets, I got passes. Said Ed, "You know, Ben, Ben Hill, Ed, the Rainbow is playing uh, Long Beach Arena, and you want to go?" But yeah, man. I said, I got passes, you know. And I, I don't remember if I said, man, you know, I, I can introduce it. I don't think I did. I think it was just, you know, we'll go to the show. So we go, and that was the night when Richie was in a mood and she went on second, and Randy Hansen, who did like this Hendrix thing, did it very well, headline. And I thought, my God, that is weird. You know, I've I'd, I'd never seen a headliner go on second and have the like an opening app or the middle app go on last. So we see the show and I don't think either of us was particularly blown away, to be honest. It's a little hard to remember. But afterwards it was like an after show party at the Queen Mary, which is just a short drive away in Long Beach Harbor there. So we go and I'm looking around and I'm thinking if Richie Blackmore went on second, something must have happened. I thought Richie could be in a in one of these moods because I'd experienced a Richie Blackmore mood. I thought, oh, my God, I'm about to introduce these guys, but the die was cast. So we're in there, and I'm looking around for Richie, and I don't see him, and I'm thinking, okay, Ed doesn't know that I want to introduce him. He's Ed's just here. We're going to have a drink, and, and we had to leave. And then I look over, and I see Richie, and I think Andrew kind of saw him at the same time, and so I, I kind of walk over, you know, and I see Richie looking at me, and I think he kind of, you know, remembers me. Because it was a guitar player cover. You have to remember, guitar player back in the 70s was the Bible. If you were a guitar player, you wanted to be in Guitar Player Magazine. And to be on a cover was like, Hi. you know, be, being kissed by God. I mean, that was that was special. So I think Richie remembered that. So we walk over. And, you know, again, I, I try to remember. I think Richie may have shook my hand. And Ed's kind of standing there. And before I have a chance to, Richie Blackmore, Edward Van Halen, Edward Van Halen, Richard Blackmore, Richie kind of, you know, gives him that snide look that Richie gives. I'm at him and goes, I know you. You play guitar, right? You're a guitar player. And like, I'm gasping for breath. I'm thinking, oh my God, what did I do? What have I done, man? I've embarrassed Edward horribly. I've embarrassed myself. I go, Ed is going to be furious. He's going to scream at me. And was and Show won that. It, it was like me meeting Richie the first time, meeting my hero, and having him treat me like fucking worsted. Him. It was like, oh, it's this. But this is even worse because Edward, this is 78. It's not like Ed is unknown entity, right? It's like you know, it's the second record, it's like on the first record. So. Um, you know, they've been on the on tour. Richie knows full well who he is. Obviously, you know, he knows who he is. We also know who, who he is as a player, as a technician, as a guy who plays a strat, as a guy who uses the whammy bar. So, it was all those things. So, it's like I felt horrible. Like I say, I don't think Edward brought it up on the way home. I, I know Ed was hurt by it, but Ed just. I don't know if he showed those kinds of things. Um, much, much later in a conversation with Jazz, Ed brings it up. Um, um, in fact, not that I said, sorry, in, in, sorry, in that, in that same conversation, Ed brings yeah. up about meaning. Um, yeah, I met Richie Ann. he kind of dismissed from that. Not that he would, but, but Edward didn't remember me introducing him to Blackmore. He, look, he doesn't mention my name in that story. So he doesn't you know, cite me as a friend, but you would think that he would have remembered that moment anyway, but he does remember, you know, being insulted by Rishi. So he doesn't say, oh yeah, I was hurt or embarrassed. Um, Ed, everyone was really sure of himself. Everyone had this confidence. Um, it wasn't Ego and it wasn't Nikaki, but she knew how good she was. And even if she was to be insulted by someone like, like Blackboard, it wasn't going to affect him. Like it would have been affected some normal, you know, guitar player. Anyway, that that that's my field. So
1: Richie was cold, if you will. Jimmy Page had his problems. There's some talk of late about the rela- relationship between Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes. He ever uh, share any thoughts on Randy? Because recently Rudy Sarzo came out and said, "Oh, Eddie had a problem with Randy." Ozzy mumbled something. Or is this stuff that's just blown out of proportion with uh, media and stuff?
3: You know, honestly, John, I, I wish I had enough insight to speak, you know, truly insightfully about that. The only time I ever brought up Randy was just in that one conversation. Um, I think we were maybe talking about local guitar players, you know, what they were about Randy Rhodes. And everyone yeah, he's a good guitar player. You know, uh, he's cool because he admits to uh, being influenced by me, me. You know the guitar players say that? Um, I wish I had pursued it more. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, it's one of those questions I wish I had gone after more. Um, I've heard from people that, that there was some animosity there. Um, uh, a good friend of mine um, who knew Randy pretty well, had taken lessons from Randy, um, said that, yeah, there was some real animosity between the two of them, and I, I don't know where it came from. I I never saw Edward being insecure in that way, ever, around any other guitar player. Um He may have been insecure in, you know, maybe his own music, or, you know, maybe the, the band, or, or the you know, the inner relationship with the guys in the band. But I never heard him say, Oh my God, you know, uh, Bob Smith, that's so amazing. I wish I could play like that. He never spoke like that. Mm. So was there a real animosity there, or was it just simple jealousy between two gun Gunslingers? I thought what Ozzy said was really interesting in, in the quote. And again, this was not I didn't interview Ozzy for the book. This is um I forget when I did that interview with Ozzy um Ozzy said, well, if Edward had been at an Ozzy and, you know, Randy, you know, playing with the Van Halen guys, you know, maybe we all be talking about Randy. You know, I mean, it was an interesting sort of yeah. analogy that he made. Um, but uh, I never heard Ozzy say one mean word about uh, Edward. I mean, you know, for all I know. But uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. Steve, I'm jumping onto that topic. It's a
2: perfect segue for me because I was always curious. Um, There was a couple points in the career of Eddie Van Halen where, you know, he did collaborate with others and I'm a big Black Sabbath fan. Um, I know he did play on uh, the 1994 Black Sabbath album, Cross Purposes on the song Evil Eye. And we talked to singer Tony Martin from that era early earlier in 2022 and he he mentioned that there was quite a writing session that happened around that time, 93, 94, with Eddie and uh, Tony. And I'm just curious, you know, from your history, because there was that also the rivalry on the Never Say Die Tour in 78, where Van Halen blew Sabbath off the stage. But I gather from, you know, different articles and interviews I've read that Eddie and Tony were it, unlike Blackmore they were collaborators friends and throw Brian May into that mix. I know mm-hmm. Eddie did some stuff with Brian May. Yeah. So talk about some of the the positive collaborations.
3: To be, to be honest I I wasn't that aware of the Sabbath uh, collaboration. Okay. Um I'm trying to think if Tony's name ever came up. Um I remember once re- referencing one of the Van Halen songs, and I said it sounded like some riff from Sabbath. No, 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 not know, it worked it. Anyway, that was the wrong thing to say. Yeah, that was <laughs> put a foot in my <laughs> mouth. But, but no, I, he loved Tony. And I think, look, I don't know why. I, I've met Tony many, many times. Tears, the sweetest guy. All those guys, all the guys at Sabbath, Ozzy, you know, whatever, for, you know, however he's portrayed, he's nothing like that. He's a very, he's a, Freaking funny guy, very sweet guy. Tony's an amazingly nice guy, quiet. Um, uh, uh, you know, and, and I just talked about you know that they that they did get blown off by Van Halen. I did this or that, but I, I know that, that that Edward did love Tony um, a lot. Um, the Brian May thing, same thing. I think Brian and I saw it when I write a little bit about the um, the NAMM show in New Orleans when they jammed. Uh, mm-hmm. And then later they kinda they kinda hung out and they were just like jamming in the room. I mean, I, I I watched Brian May. It was like you or me well, it was like me watching Edward, you know, play guitar in my living room. Just you know, you can't believe this guy's playing like that. Brian would watch Edward in that same way. And yeah, there's a comment where uh, uh Ed, Edward says, Yeah, you know, might do another record and and uh uh I'll, 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 uh, I'll play keyboards. Brian says, Oh yeah, like sure. Like I'll play guitar for of I, I, I mean, it was just that kind of, you know, absolute awe of, 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 of one another. Cause I think, and, and really, really loved Brian's playing. So yeah, that was a collaboration. I mean, the Starfleet album, Starfleet, Starfleet project. I mean, it wasn't like the most brilliant thing in the world. You know, they, they hadn't rehearsed. They, you know, it was kind of a jam. Um, but I mean for what it was, it was good um you know, I mean, Edwin actually played on a fair number of records um yeah. Nicolette
1: Larson and
3: Nicolette Larson um obviously the the Michael Jackson record, which is not really a collaboration' more a you know coming in to do a a guest solo um uh you know he actually did a a, a solo on a on a Tim Boger record. you love Tim. Love Tim's bass playing. You know, Tim was his favorite bass player. Uh, one of Tim's solo records. Um, um, I, I, I know some others. He wasn't a big collaborator. I mean, he just no. didn't do that kind of thing, you know? And, you know, we all know that he talks about doing that record, you know, bringing in different people, you know, Phil Collins and Pete Townsend. And um, I think him working with Pete Townsend could have been amazing because of Pete's writing and what they do. And I always heard kind of a you know, a Townsend esque thing and N and, and words kind of that rhythm stuff he did. But um yeah, that so that never got past the talk stage. But uh, Yeah, I I think with that it was uh, it was just always about his own music.
2: Steve, I wanna thank you for the time today. Um and before Verno uh, closes this, I just wanted to ask you one more thing. Um your conversations with Eddie sort of started fading out in the early two thousands or so. Was it something specific that happened or how long did your friendship go and why sort of did it just end? And had you been talking to him towards his private years and eventually his passing?
3: I don't want to give specifically the book away, but, and I try to answer it in the book. He started changing mid nineties, I think. And I, I don't know. I try to figure out what it was. You know, um maybe the, the the marriage and I don't I don't know that for a fact. He never talked about that because by the I think by the mid nineties we didn't have those kinds of conversations. When I characterize as our twilight tape conversations, you know, those very intimate talks and dialogue. I don't know. I I, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have pushed him harder, maybe I should have not let it go, but it's like I I I don't know, but 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 something was changing. Um, yeah, by by two thousand, that's when I went out and I did that DVD. The early years, um, you know, and she was really unhappy with that, as we all we all know. Um, I don't know what happened. I mean, I I I I give as close an explanation as I can come up with. We know after 2003 is when she went through horrible, horrible times. He, we've seen those pictures of him and the hair and the samurai knot and, yeah. and the clothes. And You know, part of me, part of me is happy I, I wasn't around him. Maybe that's a chicken shit way to be. I mean, because I, I hadn't seen him for years. So I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. What he looked like, right. I didn't know how he was dressing. Every time I ever saw him, my God, the guy looked, he looked amazing. But I also think, and I don't know this, I don't know this at all. Maybe, you know, he was a, he was diagnosed with cancer in two thousand. Maybe, I I don't know this at all. I'm only surmising, but maybe, maybe he was not. Maybe there was some mild. He wasn't feeling well. Going back to the '90s, and I don't know that at all. I don't want to put that out. There's a rumor. I'm just trying to figure out and understand what happened. Right? There was no record label. I think by then, or they they were being dropped. I think the yeah. marriage was not working too well. Um, you know, maybe the drugs thing was happening.
1: It was a bad time. It was uh, people change. People grow up. I think you answer, answered it well, Steve. I think you answered it well.
3: You know, I look, I'm this person that takes everything to heart. Everything that happens is my fault. What did I do? Oh my God, that girlfriend doesn't like me anymore, even though she was <laughs> cheating on me 15 days after we first met. <laughs> oh, it's my fault. I didn't have enough money. I wasn't, put, you know, man. Trust me, I have enough guilt for the whole world. So, I thought, what did I do, man? What kind have done to this guy for him to have done that? You know, and look, I may have done something that I can never remember where she wouldn't want to be friends anymore, but the way that it ended and the things she said to me, there's no way i could I trust me those things I would remember.
1: Well, what you did do is you you created one hell of a book, and again, congratulations. Uh, The book, Tone Chaser, Understanding Edward, My 26-Year Journey with Edward Van Halen. Well, any parting shots? This was an amazing conversation. You shared shared so much insight.
2: We'd love to have you again again. Talk other musicians, other artists. It would be great to have you back on someday.
3: So thank you. Anytime, guys. Thank you for your time. And I I hate to put in a plug, but paytale.me slash Tone Chaser if you want the book. And uh, it's out there. And guys, thank you so much for your your wonderful questions and, uh, you know, having me on. I appreciate
1: it. You're welcome, Steve. And happy birthday, Eddie. We miss you and love you. Yes, we do. See you, Steve. Take care, friend. Thanks, Steve. See you
0: guys. Metal for life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy.